for, that was really, that was, that was the thing that helped me pay off my loan so quickly is, you know, making all those accelerated payments. Cause I understand that if I could get four or five new clients a month, that's going to be, you know, eight to $10,000 or more per month. I'm able to put onto my loans. And it wasn't the best, you know, it wasn't the funnest thing putting everything I made in the business on my loans, but that was the biggest thing that really helped me was increasing my prices and, and really seeing my value for what it's worth. And I found that by charging higher prices, I got better clientele. I weren't getting people that were, you know, somewhat interested, but not really interested people that would disappear or really just didn't care. And, and I found that the value I was able to provide and the clients coming to me were just so much better by charging that higher price point. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Trevor Oldham here with me. He is a 23-year-old entrepreneur who paid off $91,000 in student loan debt in exactly one year. He's also the founder of Podcasting You and most recently, the personal finance blog, Building Wealth Made Simple. And so we have him on the show today to show that it's actually possible to do something like this still in today's, uh, today's crazy environment. And so Trevor, with that, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cody. Excited to be here. Well, I am uh, obviously the headline grabber is what you paid off in student loan debt. But I have a different question for you. How did you get into it? Because I personally think it's insane that we're allowed to uh, allowing kids coming out of school, high school with zero financial backgrounds and the ability to sign on for $92,000 in debt, not knowing whether you're going to graduate or see any benefit from the student loan and those kinds of things. And so I'm curious how the process was before you got into it. And then we can talk about how you got out of it. I think it first starts with looking. So I have a brother and sister, they're 30 and 31. So they graduated college five to six years um, before me and they graduated with student loans. So it was almost like something I believe my brother graduated with about 50,000 and my sister graduated with about 120,000. So I thought it was just something that was normal that to go through college, you had to take out money and student loans. So that's really how it, how it got started. Initially, I wanted to go to a state school. I thought I was just going to be saving money. I ended up transferring schools to another state school and, and took a extra course votes to make sure that I was going to graduate on time. And, and I thought by doing that, I wasn't going to have that much student loans. And realistically, I thought I was going to be owing about 40 to 50,000. I was figuring about, you know, probably 10 to 15,000 a year is, is what I'm taking out. I my dad did all the paperwork, so I never really knew exactly how much in loans. And the real kicker is when I think back to it, junior year of college, I purchased the car for my sister and I took out $10,000, added it to my student loans to pay for that car. And that's what really made it to be 90,000 in loans instead of 80,000. And I think back to myself, I'm like, wow, why did I ever just take $10,000, apply it to, my, you know, 
as a student loan and then take it out and throw it to purchase this car. And I think really it was just, just not having that knowledge, not understanding that, wow, this could have a, you know, big repercussions. It's going to hold me back from having a house from, you know, starting other things. And I, I think it's just not taught in school. And I didn't really have an understanding to realize how bad it was until I saw that first payment. And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. I gotta, what was it? I gotta, what was, what was that first payment? So initially it was 11. So I, First, it was going to be, it was like all these different loans. What I did is I can consolidate them into one loan and it was going to be $1,150 for seven years. And I was like, wow, that's a, I want to be 30 by the time it's paid off. And I was like, I, I really don't want to do that. And I figured I could put uh, 1500 a month and it was going to knock it down to five years. And it just sort of became unsettling to me that I was going to have to wait this extended period of time to really start my life and, you know, to really invest in it was just sort of that gut feeling that I don't want to be doing this forever. And it was that really that big shocker when I realized that really I'm going to be 30 and, and paying, you know, over a thousand dollars a month, over 1500 a month. And it sort of just didn't really sit well with me. So let me ask you this. When you, when you went into it and you were accruing this debt where you make, you didn't have payments, right? I did not. Did you get statements? No. Did you look at them at all or anything? I, I did not. And the, and the thing I say about this is when I went to get on my student loans, and find out how much I actually owed, I realized I had never created a login account. Like I could go to Granite State Management. I could log, I could go to, I could just getting, I think things in the mail every week from them. But when I went to go onto them, I realized I had never actually created a login account, which was, I was like, oh God, this is, you know, this isn't a good sign right here. So I didn't even know how much was accruing every single month. Uh, and so how, so walk me through this. How much did you borrow? And then how much was your debt? Does that yep, make so, sense? Because it accrues, right? While you're not making those payments during those four years or? Yep. So I honestly, I don't know how much it accrued. I know that the final number when I came out was about 89500 And then over the course of the last year, I added about another 2000 in interest. Out of all those loans, I think out of the 89500 there's only 7000 that wasn't currently accruing interest until after I graduated. But the rest, 82000 and 500 was accruing interest daily while I was still in school. That's it just blows my mind that, um, and so how did, how did you make withdrawals from it? Like, like you said, you'd never had a login or anything else. Like what was the process? Was it stringent? Was it hard to go get the money? Um, it wasn't that hard. It was more just, you know, sign the dotted line. Tell us how, tell us how much you owe. We're going to approve it as long as it seems sort of feasible. I'm sure if I wanted to request for $50,000, it probably wouldn't happen. But in college, if I requested say an extra, you know, two or 3000 for the semester to cover some expenses, I would get a check. Once they paid off, once they paid, so the school is UMass Dartmouth, once they paid off that school, I would then get a check of the extra money that was left over. But there would still, in my mind, there was two to 3,000 that I was getting to spend, but really that was just going to be two to 3,000 added on to the student loan. So it really wasn't that hard of a process, which thinking about it now is pretty crazy. Well, cause you said you borrowed 10 grand to buy a car. So I was just curious, like when, did you make a request for $10,000 or was it just money that had piled up? So the way that that worked is we just requested 30,000 for the semester where 20,000 was the coverage. So, yeah. then as, so then once they paid UMass Dartmouth, the, the 20,000 loan provider, then we had that 10,000 left over that they would just give me in a check. And then I would just basically cash it and then <laughs> hand off that money to my sister to pay off the car. <laughs> that's so crazy that that's yeah. a, that is just kind of a no questions asked. Here you go. You're, you know, 20 years old, whatever. And mm -hmm. it's like, here you go. Here's a check. Like, you know, and, and so I, I appreciate you kind of pulling the, curtain back and being honest about how those situations go because it happens to so many people mm -hmm. and it's just it's the money you know there's no there's no repercussions for the lender or the school mm -hmm. if you don't pay because it's guaranteed it's you cannot bankruptcy it away there's no way you can default you know if you left with 
three credit hours left and didn't get a degree. Like all those things, none of it matters. You owe the money guaranteed no matter what. And you can just request whatever you want at a 21 year old. I, I fortunately didn't have that scenario. Um, because if I did, I don't know what the debt number would have been for me <laughs> at that time. Cause it was, <laughs> I was not in the mentality of being a good steward of my dollars at that point in my life. I can tell you that. I so, think, uh, when you, when you got out and you saw that number and it was $90,000, what, what was your reaction? Um, first I remember getting on the phone calling my dad and being like, this is crazy <laughs> that I owe, that I owe this much money. And, and it was sort of like a pit sank in my stomach. And I was like, wow, you know, it just really hit me. And I was like, this is $90,000. That's a, that's a lot of money, especially coming out of, out of college when you're typically not going to be making that much money or even, even the side hustle that I had started wasn't, you know, wasn't making that much money to cover the, you know, the whole 90,000 at that time. And it was just, uh, just this big realization to, I made a mistake and you know, this, I can't cancel these loans. Like I can't declare bankruptcy. That's not going to happen. It's just you know, my dad co-signed on the loans and it's going to be taken in his name. So that's, I'm not going to bear him that responsibility of doing that. And it was really just coming to that realization that I just got to figure out a way on my own. And I sort of created this mess myself by not realizing what I was getting myself into. And it, it was more just up to myself to realize that, I got to figure out a way to pull myself out of this. Yeah. I think that's a, just that alone is a great character trait. That's going to serve you really well is that, you know, you, you got yourself in, now get yourself out. Right. And um, so you mentioned you have a side hustle when you graduated. Um, did you go into a normal W2 type of job? So actually what happened is I was working for a startup company in Boston. Um, this is back in like back in March. So this is prior to graduation. I was working with them. They were coming out with a skincare product. It was, Super cool. I worked with people from Harvard and, and MIT, and they were creating this revolutionary skincare, pro, skincare product. They promised me a salary. I believe it was about 65000 at that time. And basically what happened was the patent on the technology got delayed about a year or two. So that meant that the skincare product wasn't going to be out. So come in May, when I'm about to graduate, I get a call the day before that they can no longer pay me my salary. So I had a, the job lined up that I thought was going to be really cool. And I find out the day before that the uh, it's pulled out from under the rug and I no longer have a job, you know, going into graduating from college. But after that, I really just wanted to figure out at that point, I was just trying to figure out what I can do on my own. And, and that, I think it was almost, that's what pushed me to really drive my side hustle to be even further. Cause there really wasn't, I didn't have a backup plan. No one goes out there and, and gets two jobs in case the first job doesn't work out. So that was sort of my role, you know, as a W2 job, obviously I did a couple of internships while I was in college as well. Did um so what was your degree in and was that in the skin was it, was the job lined up in the in the skincare product or so, what was it? So my degree was it was in management information systems, but it was a cool concentration in e-commerce and digital business. So that role was going to be as a social media manager. So I was leading a team of about six people, which was pretty crazy to me too because I was leading this team while I was I was in college and they were also college students themselves. And here I am leading this team. You know I didn't really have that experience, but it was you know it was definitely a good opportunity. That's awesome. And so, um, so tell me about, so you've, you've now, you've got kind of the rug pulled out from under you, you owe $90,000. You're, uh, you're realizing what you've done, right? <laughs> your job is now that you thought was nice and secure is gone. So you get your first, uh, lesson into that part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you've got a side hustle going that you've been doing through school, which is what? So that is called podcasting you. So essentially I guess to predate it, I ran a couple of different companies while, while I was in college and I gained some skills and I just started freelancing myself, which consisted of writing blog posts for people, editing podcasts. And at that time in college, I had run a podcast for a little while and, and I booked guests on my show. 
I found that there was a lady, a real estate investor out of California. She wanted to get booked on real estate podcasts. And I figured, well, I booked shows for myself. How hard could that be to book her? Just started working with her. And I found that there was other freelance, cl freelance clients. I just used a site Upwork. And every day I would just be searching for people that wanted to get booked on podcasts and, and just sort of started there first year. Didn't even have a website. Didn't even expect it to be sort of that uh, a full-time gig. Um, I, th I was still editing people's podcasts, still writing pod or still writing blog posts, sort of figuring it out. But I learned that getting people booked on podcasts was easier than sitting down and, and writing a five or six hour blog post. And I paid a little better and I enjoyed it. And you know, it was still, still sort of a side hustle, but once that rug got pulled out from under me and I wasn't having that job, it was now I got to make it a full-time hustle. It's no longer the small little side gig. I really got to, you know, put everything I have into it. <laughs> and so how did you pivot? What was your, uh, you know, coming out of school? I mean, it was, it was, I think it's awesome that because you had that concentration uh, in the e-commerce side, because I think a lot of times what the, the really tragedy of things is, is that we, we saddle people with $90,000 of debt with a degree that doesn't, isn't current to, you know, you know, like you're an MIS and, uh, and e-commerce, like pretty good time to come out and we work in an e-commerce. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so, uh, as, as you, as you, how did you pivot and determine when, what was your steps when saying, okay, I'm going to go do this thing full board. Like, how am I going to support myself running a company of my own? I think the biggest thing was realizing I just, I need more clients at that time per podcast booking. We would charge about a hundred dollars. And what that meant is when I got you booked on an interview and, and you had the interview, you'd pay me a hundred dollars for, for securing that. And, and basically the big thing for me is I realized that I needed more clients and I just started cold email marketing. I didn't really know much about Facebook ads. I didn't know much about, you know, Google AdWords. And I just started cold email marketing and, and I found that people were scheduling calls with me. And at one point I think there was like a, a two week period where I had like 15 calls and, and was able to sign on like six or seven new clients. And at that time it was just me and one uh, contract employee that I also found through Upwork and, and the company. And I realized that, wait a second, you know, people really like what I have to offer. And I really just kept cold emailing people. I would find people that did podcast interviews and figured, well, if they're doing a podcast interview, obviously they see somewhat value in it. Maybe my services can be a value of them. And I would spend sort of night and day and just reaching out and cold emailing people saying, Hey, this is what we do. Heard your interview on this podcast. Do you have any interest in getting booked on other podcasts? Our company does it for yourself. And, and then at that point, you know, I started to see that there is sort of an interest in the company and people sort of do see the valuable um, in the company. That's really cool because, um, you know, you're, you've, you've touched on a subject that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, we get paid for the value we provide, you know, the mentality that you get paid for the amount of hours worked is, is, is a totally different mind mm -hmm. shift to, I get paid for the value that I provide. So if you're able to book five people in an hour using a VA that charged you 15 bucks and you've now brought in $500, why shouldn't you make $500 an hour? Exactly. And that was like the biggest thing for me and realizing that in the first year running the company, I ran it myself, but then I realized the second year I had brought on an additional employee and I realized that she could do all the, you know, I, I know all the processes that get people booked and I just share that with her. And now she does all the work. And as you mentioned, you know, she could go out and book five interviews in an hour. I pay her the $75 and I make that $500. And so I net, you know, 425 for not that much amount of work, which is really why I like the, the podcast interview business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I, um, I, I found with Money Talkers, like originally when I was doing this, I was reaching out through my own networks and, and side networks. And I was reaching people that I, I heard on other interviews that I thought would be really fun to talk to. But now, I mean, um, it, it, once the show got some 
recognition and notoriety, I guess it's constant. I don't, I don't book any, I, don't, I barely book anybody 